Welcome to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. There's no question the Apostle Paul was a force to be reckoned with. People inside the church recognize he was a key figure in the life of the early church, and what he said, he said with authority from God. Those outside the church wrongly attach negative labels to him because they don't understand biblical inspiration. We'll be learning from the Apostle Paul through his first letter to the Corinthians. The title of the series is Called to be Saints Together which is what Paul reminds the Corinthian church they were to be. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. Last week, we had a wonderful vacation Bible school here at our church. We had so many volunteers that gave of their time and their energy to teach the children the truths of the Bible, to tell them about the gospel of Jesus, to talk about how much Jesus loves them. It was Chloe Brownlee's first full week on staff, so she was kind of baptized by VBS fire, if you will. And Carrie Kendall did a great job as our Vacation Bible School director. For Vacation Bible School, we have our staff attend, and we all dress pretty casually for the week. Now, some of you get this, some of you don't. I'll just say quickly that I grew up on the other side of the state, and there is another baseball team in the state. And so I wore uh, baseball jerseys all week. I wore Cardinals jerseys, and I wore Kansas City Royals jerseys. I know who butters my bread, amen? You know what I'm saying? So anyway, the kids kind of get a kick out of that, seeing us dressed down, so to speak. So one night I was wearing a St. Louis Cardinals jersey. Keep that in mind. And uh, Emily Lunt had invited me to stop by and talk to her class of little ones. They had been learning about the biblical truth that God created them in His image. They were being taught from the book of Genesis that they are God's special creation, created differently than all of the animals in our world. And they were taught age-appropriately that God had made little boys to be little boys and little girls to be little girls. They were taught from the Psalms that they are, in fact, fearfully and wonderfully made. It was, it was so wonderful to hear the kids answering the questions about the lessons. And so I sat on the floor with them. The age of miracles hasn't ceased. I did get up. <laughs> and, and I sat on the floor and we sort of reviewed what they were learning. It was great. It was absolutely beautiful to see the kids' eyes light up as they were talking about how they were made as a special creation of God, a God who loves them so very much. And we talked about how Adam and Eve had sinned against God, how they disobeyed God, and how that was so very disappointing to God. So, I'm wearing this St. Louis Cardinals jersey, sitting on the floor with the little kids, talking about how Adam and Eve disappointed God. And one little boy, who shall remain nameless, (laughs) raised his hand and asked, Pastor Ken, do the St. Louis Cardinals ever disappoint you? priceless. But it led me to think about disappointment, how we disappoint God, how I disappoint God, 
how I disappoint others, and how, frankly, others disappoint me. I have a good friend who used to be a pastor. It's a long story. But he started drinking in moderation. He was in a church that thought it was okay for their pastors to drink in moderation. And in pretty short, we don't believe that here, by the way, in case you're wondering. We, teetotalers makes me much more spiritual than all of you. Anyway, in pretty short order, he found out the hard way that moderation often leads to overindulgence. And he found himself pastoring a church, and he had a terrible drinking problem. The church he was serving, the church he was serving ended up sending him to rehab. When he got out of rehab, they promptly fired him. Anyway, ironically, my pastor friend who disappointed a lot of people, used to say to me all the time, Ken, people will invent ways to disappoint you. Isn't that sad? People will invent ways to disappoint you. And then I was reminded of the truth that I wouldn't be so disappointed, and you wouldn't be so disappointed if we didn't care. So hold that thought about being disappointed as we read our text for this morning. We're continuing our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves in the 12th chapter, called to be saints together, as the Apostle Paul addresses the people at Corinth, called to be saints together, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to begin our reading with verse 12. If you're able, I'll invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, I know you're probably wondering where in the world, where in the world will this disappointment concept fit into the text for today? Well, people claiming to know Christ, people many of whom are Christians, are often disappointing because of the way they deal with the truth of God's Word. To further explain, I want to take a brief detour. This will be foundational for what we deal with. I want to take a brief detour before we get to two points from the text this morning. So here it is. Don't be afraid of biblical truth just because someone or some group takes biblical truth to an unbiblical extreme. Don't be afraid of biblical truth just because someone or some group takes biblical truth to an unbiblical extreme. This morning from our text, we have the privilege of talking about the Holy Spirit. You may or may not be aware that the person of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit are oftentimes talked about and taught with a sensationalistic and sometimes unhealthy approach. 
Sometimes the Holy Spirit is made out to be the only important being in the universe, as if God the Son could be ignored completely. At other times, the Holy Spirit is ignored completely. There are some extremes related to how we understand the Holy Spirit, thus the reason for the detour this morning. The Holy Spirit exists. He has always existed. The Holy Spirit has particular roles in the cosmos. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. He draws people to Christ. He is grieved when we ignore the things of God. And as we've learned over the last few weeks together in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit is manifested in the lives of believers through the giving of spiritual gifts. All of these things are true, but there's a problem. The problem is, and this is what's connected to the disappointment that we spoke of just a moment ago, the problem is people have a tendency to take some biblical truth to an extreme that is unbiblical. So, for example, people take the truth of the Holy Spirit to an unbiblical extreme. People will say the Holy Spirit is responsible for doing all kinds of things that He's not responsible for actually doing. Several years ago, you may recall, a charismatic group of uh, people, they, they branded an outbreak of laughter, uncontrollable laughter. They called it the Toronto Blessing. They said the Holy Spirit had this new working in the church and the Holy Spirit fell upon them and caused them to laugh literally for hours. Now listen, I believe what the Scripture says about a merry heart works like medicine, good medicine, but I don't think that silliness they called the Toronto Blessing people cackling for hours on end while falling all over the place, I don't think that was connected to the Holy Spirit. Another unbiblical teaching is that the Holy Spirit requires us to speak in tongues in order to be saved, or we have to speak in tongues in order to prove our standing with God. That's simply not true. That's not true. And to say so is unbiblical. Some have said oftentimes theological heresy is quite simply an overemphasis or an extreme position related to something that is good. Such is the case with much heresy around the person of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, that really is a great shame. When I was a little boy, the church that would become my home church split. For the record, those of you who met my pastor, Pastor Kenneth Hall, or those of you who remember me talking about him through the years or the piece that I wrote about him back in December when he passed away, let me clarify, this was before... Pastor Hall was called to pastor our church. So the church split over this very issue of the role of the Holy Spirit. It was a Baptist church, it was a Southern Baptist church, and they made Presbyterian people look wild. It was a pretty tame group, is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, the pastor and some of the other leaders were moving into the realm of the so-called charismatic practices, and it became apparent that pretty soon speaking in tongues was going to be the litmus test of one's salvation. And the church, which at that time was one of the largest SBC churches in the state of Illinois, split, split literally right down the middle, 400 to 410 or so, to, to ask for the pastor's resignation. Here's my point. I don't think Pastor Scott at the time, I don't think he meant to split the church. I don't think he was necessarily a bad guy. Unfortunately, he was misguided, and frankly, he was in error related to his biblical understanding. 
in, about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of a believer or in the life of a church. Everything, everything in those days in that church became about the Holy Spirit. And then divisive and confusing practices were being introduced so that the concept of things being done decently and in order that Paul will talk about when we get to chapter 14, all of that was tossed aside. My best friend, I've talked about him before, Larry Brandt, decided to follow Jesus during that whole mess. He went to the pastor to talk about being baptized, and the pastor said, no, son, I don't want to baptize you now. He didn't want to baptize any more people in that church. He wanted to wait until the church split and take the new believers with him so he could baptize them in the new church. You don't think that mentality caused problems? And then the church's witness in the community was sullied for such a long time. Lost people would look at the church and say, they can't even get along with each other. Why in the world would I want to be a part of something like that? And it all started, it all started because of an overemphasis on something, someone that is, the Holy Spirit, that was really, really good. In later years, the church was still so damaged by what happened that anytime anything was done, especially in worship, that made people think back to that terrible split, the people would become skittish, afraid of something happening that would cause yet another fracture within the church. I remember, in fact, one conversation among some of the members about how concerned they were when people started clapping because they were afraid that would lead to all of that charismatic practice again, and the church couldn't handle another split. How sad is that? And in many ways, it would be safe to say that those precious people who became afraid, they became afraid of the Holy Spirit's rightful ministry among them. The Bible says, clap your hands, O ye people. It's all right, folks. All of it happened because some people took something good to a not-so-good extreme. It's sad. Again, it's important that we understand biblical truth. Even if someone or some group takes that truth to an unhealthy extreme, don't go the other direction by ignoring some biblical truth to your own peril. We can learn. Listen to me. We can learn of the Holy Spirit. We can follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We can be convicted by the Holy Spirit. We can and should, in fact, be led by the Holy Spirit. We can experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can do all of these things without taking the truth of the Holy Spirit to an improper extreme. Don't be afraid of biblical truth. Just because someone or some group takes biblical truth to an unbiblical extreme. Two points this morning. Number one, we are one body comprised of many members. We are one body comprised of many members. Look with me please again at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We are one body comprised of many members. What Paul summarizes... It's very simple. Essentially, many members, one body. That's it. Many members, one body. Now, as we, as we read this verse, we might be prone to think that Paul might just say, though many are one body, so it is with the church. But he doesn't say that. 
No, instead he says, so it is with Christ. So what exactly does he mean by that? While it's certainly important that we realize the attributes of Christ, the truth is we have to be cautious to keep in mind that Jesus is the one who is transcendent and Jesus is the one who is preeminent. We're not transcendent and we're not preeminent. This whole thing is about Him and not about us. Of course, as the church, we identify with Christ and He identifies with us, but please don't overdo this connection to the degree that we neglect the truth that Jesus is preeminent, that is, surpassing all others, and Jesus is transcendent, that is, existing apart from and not subject to the limitations of the material universe. He's different than we are. To the point, while we most certainly need Jesus, He most certainly does not need us. Gratefully, gratefully, He invites us to Himself. But don't ever make the mistake of thinking we somehow complete Jesus or that He needs us. Listen carefully. Jesus is self-sufficient, all-sufficient, totally total without us. Well, certainly Jesus doesn't need us. He doesn't have to have us in order to accomplish what He wills. The beauty, the beauty is that Christ manifests Himself by the Spirit to the world, are you ready? Through His church. That's us. When we think back to what Jesus did for us, we're reminded that He accomplished what He accomplished while inhabiting a body made of flesh. These days, Jesus has a body too. It's a body that consists of human beings, the church. Thankfully, Jesus uses us, His visible body here on earth. He uses the church to carry out much of His ministry. We'll see this again in a moment when we get to verse 13. But the reality is we are all, we are all members of one body through one Spirit. Now, when we deal with the rest of the chapter, we're going to see how Paul elaborates on this concept. One body, many members. He's going to talk about the foot and the ear and the eye and so forth. Not surprisingly, given that this is Scripture, I find this metaphor to be unbelievably helpful. It's unbelievably helpful in terms of our understanding many things related to our place in the body of Christ. This is especially helpful as we consider what it is we do. Someone might think, well... An ear really isn't that big of a deal, or a nose isn't that big of a deal, and so forth. We, we take these things for granted, don't we? Until they're gone, or until they stop working. Right? Some of you got up this morning, and you put your foot on the floor, and you said, oh, my back doesn't work quite like it used to. So we don't take those things for granted all the time. The truth of the matter is, everything matters. Every part of our bodies matters. Even things about us that we might not think are a big deal really are a big deal. Let me see if I can explain. For years, I wore what's known as a Van Dyke. That's not a goatee for those of you who are uneducated. A Van Dyke is the mustache and the, what I call the little beard. The goatee is this deal and this deal together is called a Van Dyke. And for 25 years or so, I wore one of those. In fact, my children had never seen me, Lori had never seen me without a mustache. My kids for a long time just they couldn't imagine me not having all of that so I wore that for a long time it cuts straight down to the mustache you know what I'm talking about 
I never thought much about it until I shaved it. And then one day, right after I shaved it, I went out into the December cold in the Midwest. And I had a sudden awareness of my face and what was missing. My face was still there, but the Van Dyke wasn't. How much more important are the very parts of the body that God Himself chose to put on each of us? Imagine missing an eye or a foot or a nose. All of these things are vital. And the metaphor reminds us of what's even more important, that each person, each one of us in the body of Christ, really matters. I had a conversation with someone just this past week, and we were talking about various ministries of the church. And I shared with her my views about ministry in the church. I have believed this for a lot of years. If we think there's something that needs to be done, or even if somebody brings up what they think is a great idea to be done, we should begin praying that God will make it clear to us and to the person that someone is called to lead that. Somebody has to step up and come to the forefront to lead that ministry. If that doesn't happen, then we put it on hold and kind of put it on the back burner. Now, why in the world would we set aside a great idea? Because at some point, if God hasn't brought somebody into the mix to lead that, we feel like it's probably just not the right time to do that particular ministry. For everything that God wants to accomplish, I believe God brings people in to lead it. Everything, listen to me, everything God wants to accomplish in the life of this church, God will bring people into the life of this church to help accomplish that. Do you see then, listen, do you see how important each person in the body of Christ really is. So we are one body comprised of many members. Number two, we are all baptized by Christ in one spirit into this one body. We are all baptized by Christ in one spirit into this one body. Look with me please now at verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all, all were made to drink of one spirit. Not surprisingly, this verse has been the cause of a lot of disagreement doctrinally. In the context in which it is set, it should be crystal clear that all Christians, all Christians belong in the body of Christ together. There's not these several different tiers of people, different levels of people in the body of Christ. What I mean is there shouldn't be division of Christians into various groups. As David Pryor notes, this fact alone should keep us from the mistakes that are made by the classical Pentecostal interpretation of these verses, with all due respect to our Pentecostal friends. They believe that Paul here is describing a two-phase initiation into Christ. Regeneration, which is part one, and then separately, part two, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me carefully. No. No. If you belong to Christ, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. In fact, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit when you belong to Christ. All Christians have the experience that is described here by Paul. We are baptized into one body, and we are all made to drink of the one Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer, and the Holy Spirit is the element in which all Christians, all of us, are baptized. 
as prior continues, the concept of being baptized by Jesus with and in the Holy Spirit reminds us that the word baptized in this context carries the connotation of being initiated, being initiated into, and being overwhelmed by. So Paul is saying that Christians are in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in Christians, just as Christians are in Christ, and Christ is in Christians. So in verse 13, Paul is not just appealing to an event, but also an experience in the life of every believer in Corinth, and by inference, every believer since. This event, this experience, transformed them from being pagans, that is, being outside the camp of that which is spiritual, being pagans to being Christians. And the same thing happened to you and to me when we, through repentance from sin and faith in Christ, believed and were saved. We're brought from being pagans to becoming Christians. This began their participation then in the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power. All of what we're describing here should be a result, should be a result, or should result in an openness to experience the Spirit of God all the more. And as believers do this, as we seek, as we seek to be in the control of the Spirit of God, we become more united in our dependence upon Jesus. This, therefore, unity in the body that is, unity of the people of God, is the result of dependence on the Holy Spirit. So this is a beautiful analogy Paul offers, but we need to note it's not just about diversity and then mutual dependence. As Paul Gardner notes, it's more subtle. He writes, Paul's point is that each member cannot exist at all when it is separated from the body, and that the body loses its functionality when members are cut off from it. Listen, we need each other. That's part of the point. We need each other. And, and listen, we need each other all the more as that day approaches. We all depend on each other. And nobody in this place has it all together. I do religion for a living. I'm a whole lot better than you guys. It's a joke, people. It's, somebody said, said years ago, the preacher ought to be the most repentant person in the whole room because he knows the truth about himself. It's true. We, nobody here has it all together. As many have said, the church is the only organization in the world where the only qualification for membership is to be unqualified. You guys know one of my faith heroes is Steve Brown. Dr. Brown says a lot of things that frankly just wreck me. I'm going to share two things from him, one quote and then one story to close. And what I'm about to say that he wrote really impacted me. I would go as far as to say in some ways it probably changed my life. One time Dr. Brown wrote, and I quote, the man or woman who isn't surprised by the love of God has never experienced the love of God and has no idea how little he or she deserves it. Christ really did die for the ungodly. Amen. Think about it. Not, not just the little sins, not the things that are sort of socially acceptable. Listen, Jesus died for the big sins. He died for it all. And when we recognize that, we ought to live with the sense of gratitude to Him for all that He's done for us and for all that He's done for others. So, 
when I hear Dr. Brown, when I read that, I'm just telling that nails me. In fact, we could go now, but I'm not finished. So because of all of that, how should we live? How much do we love Jesus, and how desperate are we to please Him? Hold that thought. Now I realize that a lot of what I've said today is probably just kind of like gone to your head. It might feel a little bit cerebral. So I want to change that for a moment. Think with me about what Christ has done for you and let me try to speak into your heart with this story from Steve Brown. In his book, What Was I Thinking?, Dr. Brown writes the following. He said, our family has always had German shepherds. Thor is the fifth shepherd in our family. The other four are now in heaven. And if you don't believe dogs go to heaven, keep your spurious theological views to yourself. He said, I really love Thor, but I haven't gotten over the death of our last shepherd, Quincy. I guess I loved him because when he was a puppy, they were going to put him down because he had bad hips. To alleviate the hip problem, our veterinarian said Quincy's hips could be removed and cartilage would grow in their place. He said Quincy would be almost normal, and he was almost normal for 12 years. The procedure to make Quincy almost normal was extremely painful, and I remember picking him up at the vet's office after the surgery. I had to carry him to the car, and my every movement elicited a whimper from Quincy. I took him to our family room, and I laid him on a blanket in the corner. I was sure Quincy would never want anything to do with me again, given that I was the one who was responsible for his pain. So I sat down in my easy chair and started reading the paper, and after about five minutes, I felt felt the paper move. I looked down, and it was Quincy. He laid his head on my lap, and I prayed, Oh God, let me be that way with you. There is so much pain, but let me always come to you and put my head on your lap. It was many years later when our vet informed us that Quincy wouldn't live much longer. We took Quincy home from that appointment, and I was out out in the backyard playing with him. Quincy loved chasing, retrieving anything that I threw, a frisbee, a stick, or a ball. So I threw a stick, and as best as he could, Quincy ran to retrieve it. And just as he picked it up, his back went out for the final time. Do you know what he did? He pulled himself with his front elbows across the yard to bring the stick to me. And I prayed, Oh God, let me always be that way with you. You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 
64060.